Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Lowe Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. A few years ago, hyper-pop band 100 Gex released the bizarro electronic ska track Stupid Horse. This unusual take on the genre was polarizing. It annoyed some ska fans and excited others. It even incited some arguments from the ska scene as to whether it should even be considered ska at all. One person that dubbed the music, Russ Wood, was already making weird hyper-pop songs under the moniker Eichlers and had been considering throwing in some ska licks even before 100 Gex showed it could be done. Now, in 2022, Eichler's releases their ska-heavy sophomore record, My Checkered Future, and shows the world that hyper-ska might just be here to stay, but will people embrace it? Only time will tell. We've known Russ for so long. Yeah. When people first started going like, oh yeah, Ike, I was like, who? <laughs> you mean Russ? <laughs> We've known Russ since he was in high school. I know sometimes I feel bad referring to him as Russ because he's Ike and Eichlers and he's got a whole persona. But yeah, he's Russ. Russ Wood to us. In my phone, he's Russell. Russell, yeah. yeah. I don't know how that happened. I remember there was a time back like a long time ago uh, in the pre-Eichlers days when he was on Facebook and he changed his name from Russ Wood, W-O-O-D, to Russ Wood W-O-U-L-D. Mm. That was a good uh, nickname. I, I'm sad that he moved on from Russ Wood to Eichler's, but I, I'm adjusting. Maybe Ike will bring that back. Yes, Russ Wood. Or maybe Ike Wood. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know how you have to start this, though, right, Aaron? How, how do I start this? You have to start this with Russ's, um, with his catchphrase. Oh, okay. Okay. On the, let's pause for a second. Hi. <laughs> Hi. 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 <laughs> wow, that's great. That's great, great, great audio there. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> or is this um hi, uh, the podcast edition? Yes, I would. I would argue to okay. say that this is hi, in defense of Ska, guest appearance edition. Okay, well, Mister Russ, um, i.e. Eichlers, I want you to close your eyes and pretend for a second that uh, you're talking to a couple of old forty-somethings uh, musicians and uh, who are out of touch, and uh, just try to explain what it is you're doing musically. As a uh, as a hyper ska, <laughs> so I would say, um, I feel like take 
take everything that uh, 40-something music fans dislike and put it all together. Okay. Modern pop music, modern rap music, auto-tune, and ska. You put that all together, and that's what I'm doing. Now, I feel like for a while, you were doing the all the stuff without the ska. Am I tripping, or was the has the ska always been a part of it? No, it was, it was definitely like a, a later addition. Like, I, I started like more like the mainline like kind of emo trap associated stuff and then that that stuff always had or at least like the the kind of influences i was taking from always had such a like hard nostalgia factor built into it and then it just like kind of occurred to me like why is no one adding ska to this because at least for me and you know for a lot of people who are in the ska scene like ska is a very nostalgic thing grew up you know people my age heard it in the digimon movie or like, yeah, seeing the movie Clueless that the boss tones are in, like it's it's hardwired into some sort of cultural nostalgia for people my age. Um, and I was just like, why is no one adding these two things together if all these emo trap artists are pulling from like like MySpace era emo and all that? And like, remember Mall emo? It's like, well, remember remember Ska? Ska is very sick. And also there's a lot of very cool stuff happening with Ska right now. Why not add that into the mix and try and push some more boundaries and bring attention to all the cool shit that's happening with this scene that people kind of just write off as like, oh, I remember that. That was funny. Well, we're past that now, but not past it. Not here. In defense of Scott. <laughs> so the, the emo trap type stuff that you were um, that you were talking about, you mentioned it was like kind of mall punk. Were they kind of specifically or were and are going specifically after maybe the unhip stuff in a way, like the, the stuff that like mainstream, like remixing mainstream, like not cool quote unquote type stuff. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There was, I feel like there were some producers who were like sampling like mineral and shit, uh, like, you know, quote unquote, cool, real emo. But a lot of them were just like, dude, remember Metro station? That band sucked. Here's a synth riff with some 808s on it. And everyone's like, yeah. <laughs> so keeping in that spirit, it is kind of surprising that uh, they're not like throwing in real big fish and less than Jake. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was just like, why has no one done this? And then like, you know, Stupid Horse dropped. And I remember like listening to A Thousand Gex the night that the record came out. And uh, one of my best friends, Val, who was the person who introduced me to 100 Gex like a couple years beforehand. Um, they, they were like, wait till you get to track five, you're going to lose your mind. And I was like, okay. And that was stupid horse. And I was like, there's a fucking ska song in this record. What the hell? And you know, the rest (laughs) is history. I actually heard that organically as well. Like I was aware of hundred gex. I liked what I had heard by the band. I think I must've heard that song. Um, it's a go, you know, my boy's got his own ringtone. Yeah. Ringtone. I was like, this is cool. I, I, I dig it. Ah, song rocks. And then, yeah, I listened to the record and uh, yeah, I got, and I got into the record. And I was like, are they doing ska? That's pretty weird. <laughs> That's it just like tripped me out. Then I was also tripped out that uh, I wasn't seeing all the kids in the, in the forums to, like posted over and over again. And then, but that did happen eventually, but it didn't happen right away. Yeah. And I was just like, wow, this is, what is this weird universe where this is exists? And uh 
Am I the only one noticing it? <laughs> totally. Apparently not. Uh, that day, a hyper scomp <laughs> legacy was uh, hatched. Now, wait, did the did the uh, stupid horse thing happen before Eichler started including ska in the mix? I feel like you did it first. Publicly, yes. Privately, no. I like uh, when I first like got into producing and like making my own music on the computer. I like I said, I had that idea like like very inspired by what the emo trap producers were doing, but adding ska to it. So I made like these very, very bad like ska beats. And I saw that that dude Wicca phase Springs Eternal, uh, AKA Adam from Tiger's Jaw, his like very gothy um, emo trap project posted on Instagram, like send like in need of beats, send beats to this email address. So I was like, wouldn't it be funny if I send him like some ska beats? And so I made these just like really bad ska beats and sent it to him. And I obviously never heard back, but then I was like, those are actually, that's like I said, a really fun idea. Why is no one doing this? And then I was like, what if I did this? But like, seriously, because, you know, I grew up loving and appreciating ska. So why not like bring that back into the fold of the music that I'm creating? That's exciting to me right now in this moment. Now, did you ever have just a regular band that played ska? No. (laughs) None of your regular like punk bands that you were in ever played ska. No, the the high school band that I was in when uh, I met the two of you, we had a ska song. Okay, so you had a ska song. Come on. Yeah, yeah, but no, I I always wanted to be in a ska band and was yeah. never in a ska band. And now now I, I kind of look at my foray into the ska scene as making up for lost time. Well, what was the ska song? Oh my, oh, it was so bad. Let's hear it. <laughs> it was called All Dumb No Hyphy and was about like all the all the kids at our upper middle class high school who like were pretending to be all gangster and stuff. It was just oh, such a bad song. Oh my God. Is there any chance that we can get like an Eichler's um, remix of this? Absolutely not. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I actually tried to... One of my uh, one of my followers was asking me like what my high school band was, and I tried to like send it to them, and it's not even online anymore, which is probably probably a good thing. But that was that was a surprise to me. I was like, oh yeah, it's on this like old weird Bandcamp page, and I was like, nope, no, it's not. Can't find it. <laughs> so which which band was this? Which one was your high school band? This was a band called The Blanks from Walnut okay. Creek, California. Not to be confused with the acapella band uh, with the dude Ted from Scrubs. They were also called the Blanks. Okay. Or the mm. band from like 20 years ago in San Jose called the Blanks. <laughs> <laughs> or them. That was yeah. another band's called the Blanks. I, it's pretty, I, I don't know, dude. I thought it was a pretty original name. I stand by. Aaron, did you ever see the Blanks? That sounds super familiar. I want to say yes. I not only saw the Blanks, but I had a Blanks t-shirt. Really? Yep. Well, what did the t-shirt look like? It oh was spray paint stenciled on a white t-shirt. What did it say, Russ? It said something like blanks and then East Bay something or other, probably. Yeah, probably. I don't remember. <laughs> I just remember making them in my parents' driveway and just being like, this is so punk. Hell yeah. It said East Bay punks with us got song. Probably, yeah. <laughs> it was like it was like all over front print. That yeah. whole phrase, I'm sure. Smelled great. <laughs> sure, it felt great to wear. It felt great to wear. A spray painted, you know, white white undershirt. 
Always feels good. Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. Wonderful. Big fan. <laughs> so you, okay. So before you became a um, hyper ska star, you knew, you knew Adam and I, I'm like a long time ago. Yes. Okay. Well, what, what's your first memory of meeting the two of us or seeing the two of us? <laughs> I feel like the first, the first memory I have of meeting y'all was at one of Dylan Prenda's backyard shows. Okay. I, I believe Narboots played um, one of those shows with Jake's old band and maybe Laura Stevenson. Yeah, that show happened. Definitely. Yeah, that might have been. And I I don't know if it was that show, but I do have a memory of seeing Narboots and Bob, like Bob was still in the band and he like did some rap about seeing Pavement. And just like freestyled it. And I thought it was the funniest fucking thing in the entire world. <laughs> I remember that. That's great. Bob would freestyle, but we would take suggestions from the audience. And so it was always like, you know, stuff like cats or toast or <laughs> Adam, do, do, uh, do Bob's toast rap. Toast. I'd like to rap about the most tasty toast I ever tasted. I wasn't wasted. I was sober, but that toast was over, over, over 20 times better than the toast you make. And I, you know that I don't rhyme, I bake. And then it kind of petered out right there. Bars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that was, that was freestyle. I mean, come on. Yeah. And literally somebody said toast like on like beat four of a measure and he started on, you know, the next measure toast <laughs> toast came right in it's great and you and you guys still kicked him out of the band damn shame <laughs> he left we did not kick him out of the band. <laughs> it's not what i heard <laughs> there was a san jose punk scene uh that we're talking about and adam and i when we were in our boots even though adam lived in Al uh, oakland at the time we kind of san jose was sort of home base that scene i lived in san jose so how did you get involved with that scene I I met like all the San Jose scene through through Asian Man actually. I was a fan of Asian Man just through my young punk journeys, you know, learning about bands and labels and all that. And then I was on the mailing list and I remember sitting in my high school journalism class junior year and I like received an Asian Man newsletter and Mike was looking for interns in the Bay Area to like come help out and pack records and I was like, "Huh?" And I just like immediately shot him an email. I was like, hi, I live in Walnut Creek. It's not that far away. Can I come visit, please? Um, and he was like, yeah, come on down. He like gave me the address to his mom's house. And I think like on Friday after school or something, uh, I went down there. And I think Francisco, Jake, and Eddie were also there that day. You know, mm -hmm. three people who had become some of my best friends. And just kind of met them and then just started doing that more frequently. and. Around the same time, I was also very into Bomb the Music Industry, and they played a couple shows at Nickel City around that time, and Nickel City is that uh, Nickel Arcade in San Jose, uh, where... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, not telling you guys, but yeah. <laughs> they had a... They had a... Um, they had like a back room that was like for kids' birthdays. So it was an arcade, and then there was a separate room, I think, that was for birthdays, and then they would have punk shows and stuff there. Um, really quick though, Russ, can you just describe how that room was decorated? Um, it was, <laughs> it was decorated like a children's birthday room, just garish paint, painted balloons <laughs> on the walls. 
<laughs> Wonderful. Very, very, very punk. <laughs> it made for really interesting pictures of shows. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think that's how I first heard about it. Like I remember becoming like friends with Jake and Eddie and Francisco, like on Facebook and seeing them like post pictures of those shows. And I was like, what the hell is this place? I was like, oh, it's a nickel arcade that does shows. That's crazy. Bob and the music industry is playing there. That's even crazier. We got to go. So me and like my high school bandmates like started going to shows at Nickel City. I think the first show we saw was uh, probably a bomb show. And yeah, that's that's how I started meeting everyone. Just going to shows and hanging out and saying hi. Can you remember, um, you know, what, what bands can you remember that were from and part of that scene at that time? Uh Oh my goodness. Cheers to door. Okay. Disabled intent. The caps. I think it's caps, right? Yes. Adam. yes. It was, it was the caps and then it became caps. Right. Yeah. And very important. <laughs> uh, <laughs> rats on wheels. Stick up kid. That's all I got. Okay. Monstrous. Oh my God. Mon- Monstrous. How could I forget Monstrous? Yeah. Come on, man scene legends matsuri oh my goodness i only i only saw matsuri once i wish i'd seen them a thousand more times which matsuri show did you see the one at homestead lanes i believe i don't remember who else hard girls played that show yeah we played that show yeah hard girls were another band from that scene yep oh yeah duh (laughs) i saw matsuri play um what was the name of the house where they lived at Texas Toast. Texas Toast. Yeah, I, I saw them play at Texas Toast, and that was great because that's a good that's a good room to see a band like that play. Oh, yeah. Man, I just I remember every Texas Toast show just being so hot. Just tiny, tiny little <laughs> garage. And there, there, there was like six people in that band, and it's just like, God damn. Now, did you stay living in, in Walnut Creek that whole time, or did you eventually move to San Jose? I lived in Walnut Creek throughout high school. So like that entire time, like 2011, I was in Walnut Creek and driving 45 minutes both ways to like see, see shows and hang out with my friends. And then I eventually like moved down to San Jose to go to college. Oh, okay. And then became even more plugged into the scene. But that was, that was in like 2013. So a couple of years later. Now, was there bands and uh, was there like a Walnut Creek or that general region scene at all? Or, or bands that you were friends with? Kinda, yeah. There were like a few bands that we were friends with up up here, but it wasn't it wasn't as like cohesive of a scene as there was in San Jose. Like there was this one venue called Red House that it was like a kind of practice studio that also did shows, uh, maybe like a hundred cap room, pretty small. Um, and yeah, all like the local, mostly metal. Uh, kind of punk adjacent bands would play there from like Antioch and Concord and like the surrounding weird further east suburb cities of San Francisco and Oakland. Um, but yeah, there there was a little bit of a scene, but not nearly as put together um, as the San Jose scene was. So what was it like uh, to in- interning with Mike? It was great. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, uh, I was, I was, probably disappointed him so many times i was i was such a picky eater and i remember this one time he took me uh to this taqueria in los gatos and just i just kept ordering these expensive tacos 
and just like picking all the <laughs> toppings off. And I was just like, I'm still hungry. Can I get more? And he was just like, okay. <laughs> Wait, Mike was, Mike was paying? Yeah, he was paying. I'm sure he was so mad. Oh, he was so mad then. Yeah. <laughs> I still th- I, like today is not the first day that I've thought about this this week. Like, I, th- I think about this all the time and just feel just so guilty. Yeah. I'm sorry, Michael. <laughs> but yeah, other than, other than disappointing Mike by spending his money, it was awesome. Like I said, I've, I met so many of my friends through Asian man and got turned on to so many good bands and just being able to talk to Mike and hear him talk about music and the way that he does and talk about community and just what he has been doing for 25 years is just so, so inspiring and so formative to like little 17, 18 year old Russell, like damn, Mm -hmm. super fortunate. Did you basically pack records or did you do any other stuff besides that? Yeah. Mostly, mostly just packed records. You get free records. Yeah. A lot of free records. (laughs) That That was my favorite part. What record were you the most stoked to get? Probably, probably that slapstick double LP. Yeah, that's a good one. That or the Spray Nerds Fun Titled, just because that record ended up being so, so, so important to me. Why was that record so important to you? I don't know, dude. That like that band just like hit me at the right time. As soon as I got into them, I was like, this is the kind of music I want to play forever. And obviously that wasn't the case, but like Spray Nerds, the first tattoo I I ended up getting was a sprainer tattoo and just like the music was so, so positive and uplifting, but also like interesting, like interesting guitar parts. It wasn't just power chords and whatnot. Like there was more going on and there were, yeah, I just felt like it was really unique while also like having this really cool, positive message and the songs were catchy and fun. Which one of your tattoos is a sprainer tattoo? I have, I have this little, uh, Sprainerd heart with the exclamation point on my oh, right okay. thigh. Yep. Yeah. I know the one. What other band tattoos do you have? Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Are they all band tattoos? I only know of one other one that's a band tattoo. Almost all of them. Okay, name name them off. Okay. So, I got the Sprainerd one on the right thigh. I got the little uh Kanaboon cat in a floaty device on my left thigh. My wife and I have that as a matching tattoo. Um I have this little Johnny Foreigner ghost on the inside of my left arm. Johnny Foreigner is my favorite band of all time for the record. Um, and then I have, oh my goodness, I have the the promise ring, nothing feels good, those like kind of rainbow dots on my left calf. And then I have this little stick and poke high on the inside of my right arm. That's my most recent one. And then on my left shoulder, the piece de resistance is the Screaming Henry guy from this local band called The Matches. Now, did you get that when they were The Matches or The Locals? Oh, The Matches. Yeah, I was I was a child when they were The Locals. Okay. <laughs> Incredible. What would you take away from The Matches as uh, influencing you uh, still? Anything? Yeah, yeah. I would, I would say that they're still influential just because they were like the first local band that I was aware of, like getting into music because I had my sister and I like were born in Salt Lake City but we grew up in the Bay Area in California and when I like got into punk and you know started diving down that rabbit hole I like somehow discovered the matches and I was like oh shit this band is like 
from Oakland. Oakland is right next to where I live. That's crazy. This band is so good and they're so close. Like they were the first like real band that was local to me that I was aware of and enjoyed. And then the singer songwriter Sean Harris has just been a huge influence to me, like lyrically and songwriting wise. I just was a gigantic fan of his podcast that he had in 2016. So listen to every episode multiple, multiple times. And I think like listening to his advice and just how he approached songwriting and composition made me a better songwriter. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. That's a great podcast. Ah, so good. We'll be right back after this. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Are you settled on uh, hyper ska being your genre name? Absolutely. Yeah. For... For a while, I was, um, I was gonna call it trap rock steady. Yeah, yep. <laughs> and so I was, I was like kind of pushing that for a little bit, and then Jer um, made a TikTok with one of my songs in it, and they used the term hyper ska, and I was like, well, that's much cooler than trap rock steady because it doesn't evoke any sort of stizziness. Mm. Yeah. Yep. I also, I remember a little while ago, you were telling me you were considering the genre name WTF, This Isn't Ska. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one's, that, that was a close second for sure. <laughs> close second. That just rolls off the tongue. Yeah, just so, so easy. <laughs> I want to say like, you know, I hadn't talked to you, you know, there was the, the, the San Jose's punk slash Narboots era and then hadn't seen or talked to you in a while. And then you kind of reappeared a few years ago on my radar and uh, just like online and stuff. And uh, at the time you were doing, you were already doing Eichler's, but it was the, uh, the not ska version of it. What was the name of your first record? The, the record that came out in 2020 was called, I may be cute, but I'm dumb as fuck. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So that project started while you were in Salt Lake city, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. All those, all those songs were written and recorded in Salt Lake. And you had a couple other bands in Salt Lake city. Yeah. A few. There was, there was one summer where I was in four bands, including Eichler's. Wow. What were those bands called? Uh, I played guitar in a band called breakfast in silence. I played guitar in a band called fountain view. I played guitar. (laughs) I played in Eichler's and I played drums in a hardcore band called deep romance. What made Eichler's end up being the band that you're still doing now? Um, kind of, kind of the the pandemic. Honestly, I just when when everything like kind of shut down and was too scared to go out and you know see my friends IRL, uh, just kind of buckled down and being like, well, I still need to make music. I'm just compelled to create. 
So I'm just going to go all in on this and just do exactly what I want and what I think would be cool. And then it just kind of stuck. I've written like so many songs that I just love listening to even years later, just still like as excited about them as I was when I wrote them. So I've just kind of been following, following that energy. And and since you're just writing by yourself and kind of for yourself, you're probably, you know, producing a lot of music. How many songs does Eichler's have at this point? Oh, dude, I, I, I have no idea. I just like today just exported a bunch of like work in progress ideas of songs that are mostly done. And there's like five or so were the ones that I worked on today, but there's like a whole next record that's sitting at like 25 songs right now, but probably going to be pared down. There's a lot. Yeah. And there's, there's even more aside from that. Like, you, you know, you know how bad my memory is. I, <laughs> there's, there's no, there's no recall number on this right now. <laughs> so, you know, you, you've been in punk bands and you were in punk bands. This seems like such a, um, anomaly. Like how, how did this, how do we have all these punk bands and then like this sort of electronic thing going on? Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of what I was doing when I moved to Salt Lake, at least in terms of what I was listening to, started to get more and more electronic. I started listening to a lot more hip hop and I started listening to a lot of like indie rock where they incorporated really kind of out of left field electronic instrumentals. Like for example, Joan of Arc was one of my favorite bands for a few years. And I listened to a lot of L1011, which like me being into those bands, but also into like the DIY emo stuff, which has its, you know, one leg in indie and one leg in punk, right? Like mm-hmm. combining those two worlds just, just made a lot of sense to me. And that band, Johnny Foreigner that I spoke about earlier, they always have like a little bit of electronic element and um, one or two songs on every record. So I was just taking inspiration from that. Like for, for a while uh, when I started Eichler's, I was, I was like recording just like acoustic singer songwriter songs. But when I would perform them at shows, I would play electric guitar with a loop pedal. And then I would buy these cheap drum machines off of reverb and just like run these shitty drum machines through my loop pedal and just program little beats in there. And then just sing over this, these big guitar, like drum loops that I'd made. And, uh, <laughs> I always like joke to myself that like the ideal Eichler show would be one where I wouldn't have to play guitar at all. And now that's exactly what I do. <laughs> <laughs> so when you do play live, it's a microphone through a pedal, right? For auto tune. Correct. And then you run backing tracks off your phone. Yes. Did you ever see a band do that when you were a kid? <laughs> Never. <laughs> definitely, definitely not. And then definitely not hold a vigil for said iPod. <laughs> why don't you tell people, why don't you explain what you're talking about for people? Me or Adam? You. 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 You're oh. the guest. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Twist, twist my arm. Um, yeah. So there was, there was this incredible band called Narboots. You might've heard of them. Um, and they would, <laughs> they like, there was, I, I feel like there was a few, I don't, I don't know how long it was. It's a few months of a window where it was all like just you two and the iPod. 
and the iPod was the unofficial third member of the band. Mm-hmm. And then after a show at Gilman, the iPod got stolen. Yes. Mm. And then I remember y'all putting out a mixtape, RIP iPod. <laughs> yep. And then um, the iPod lives on in all of our hearts and in the annals of Sky history. Yep. Did you make it to any of those uh, memorial shows? I feel like I did. I don't remember. There was one at uh, Mama Buzz in Oakland. I never went there. Okay. There was one at a garage in San Jose. <laughs> and there was and there was one. There's one more, wasn't there? There's three. Was the third one at Gilman or was that the like death of the iPod show? Uh, yeah, I don't think we did. I don't think we did a memorial show at Gilman. Okay. Now there was um we were surprised so Sim Castro I came to one of the shows and he said, Hey, we got you something. And he pulls out an, a brand new iPod. Do you remember that Adam? Yeah. And I guess he had secretly, um, organized like, um, like a, you know, like a fundraiser with all, with all of you guys and you guys raised money to get us a new iPod. And, uh, yes. Us. Did you contribute Russ? <laughs> I have no idea, dude. I don't know. <laughs> Let's just say you did. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. You are you are so welcome. Oh my god. Okay, so uh I when we when we were talking a few years ago, you told me that a big influence for you or a big moment for you was when Adam introduced you to a band called Vantana Row. Oh. Oh my god. Yes. Big influence would be an understatement. Okay. Explain Vantana Row to people, someone who's never heard of this band, a little bit about their music, how they play their music, how they get their music out to the public. This is great. I do this once a week at my job. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So Vantana Row is uh, a married couple, Jamie and Volley. They live in their van and they perform drive-by shows wherein they drive their van slash home to a venue where a show is happening. And then before and after the show, they pull up alongside the people who are waiting in line to get into the show, perform three or four songs. All their songs are very short, minute and a half or so. They perform some of their songs, which includes uh, Volley, on the mic screaming, singing and Jamie playing drums. And they have a big subwoofer playing fat bass drops and backing tracks. They perform three or four of these minute and a half songs, throw a bunch of CDs into the crowd and then take (laughs) off down the street in the van. Yeah. And it is the coolest shit in the entire fucking world. Have you ever been in line when they've pulled up for a show? Never, never, ever, never, ever. Wow. The the one time that, well, I guess yeah, because I've I've only seen them once, really. Yeah, we we booked them at our venue in Salt Lake, and we didn't catch. Uh, Deaf Heaven was playing uh, at this venue across town the same night as our show. So the plan was that they were going to do a drive by show before the Deaf Heaven show, come to our venue, play indoors. And then we'd go get burritos. And then after burritos, they were going to go do a second pass of the Deaf Heaven show after the show to catch all the people coming out. And then all of us who booked the show and attended the show at our venue 
followed Van Tannero and like stood outside the Death Heaven venue to catch the second drive-by show. Nice. So you, you have seen it then? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But not not on accident. Right. <laughs> yeah. I would love to see it on accident. I, I would lose my damn mind. So one time I uh, I drove, I spent the evening, Adam was there too, uh, in the van with Van Tannero. Yeah, I was driving. You were just riding along. I was I was being a reporter because I was actually writing a story on Van Tannero as a reporter for the East Bay Express. Do you remember what show we did our drive-by on? Yes, it was uh, Ja Rule. Yeah. <laughs> it, where did they? What was the venue? It was in San Francisco. The Warfield. The War, Warfield. Okay. We how many? We drove by three or four times. It was three times. Yeah. And um, the audience not into it. The 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 bomb, the security guards way not into it. <laughs> no. I remember one time one of the security guys went. He's like, "This is a Jaw Rule show." Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, excuse me, sorry, my bad. We'll leave. <laughs> um. So, I mean, but the thing about Van Tannero is, like, aside from the fact that they they do drive-bys and it's you know it's pretty a unique way to be a band. Um, musically, they're a very interesting band. Absolutely, yeah. Can you speak on that a little bit, especially as somebody who, um, you know, does electronic music and, you know, produces and stuff like that? Like, I'm sure you've sat and like just listened to their music, right? Oh, countless hours. Yeah, I think I I have this this person that I work with named Ian um, and he he knows Jamie from like back in the day. They, they don't know each other personally, but I guess he was he went to high school with the bassist of Jamie's old band. So he's been hip to Jamie for a long time since like 2010. And Ian and I still once a week um, talk about how ahead of the curve Jamie has been this entire time. Uh, so Van Tannero just, I guess like at a glance is a what crust wave band. I think they've been dubbing themselves recently, but it's like mm-hmm. very, very akin to like the modern hyper pop stuff, big, big 808 bass um a lot of fluttery synth stuff uh but instead of very sugary auto-tuned vocals there's screaming very intense mm-hmm. screaming and a lot of like uh wiccan uh witchy imagery and lyrics and energy it's very interesting and very complex to digest and very 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 fucking cool yeah, I remember um, Adam has, has been a huge fan of their music. And like, I think one time we were talking about 100 Gex and maybe like when he first heard 100 Gex and he was describing them basically as like Van Tana Row, but like way more accessible, which yeah. is funny because I think a lot of people, especially people our age, they hear 100 Gex and they go, what the hell is this? Weird <laughs> But uh, like they're like a they're like an easy listening version of um, Van Tannero. Yeah, that was that was my assessment. Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree. I feel like Van Tannero has definitely moved in the the more extreme metal um, direction over the past few releases. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you listen to like Van Tannero three, that is about as gecky as you can get without being. You know, I I feel like they're missing like the dubstep EDM elements that like 100 Gex has, but 
they've replaced it with grindcore and screamo, which you could argue is a better combination. <laughs> yeah. So fu- funny thing about Jamie too is that um, at some point was like producing rap music or rap beats for some rappers down there. Yeah, I've heard I've heard a lot of her like rap production, and it's just as incredible as all the Van Tanero stuff. Like I, as soon as I went down the, as soon as Adam put me onto Van Tanero, I immediately found the Jamie Blaze is not Jamie Blaze Bandcamp and downloaded every release and listen to all of them. And there's, there's a ton of stuff on there and it's all produced by Jamie. And she's just like constantly just pushing the envelope and just being as creative as a person can be while still making stuff. That's I I think accessible and fun to listen to. Like, it's not like some abstract noise where you're like, "Eh, what is like, what can I see in this? It's like, okay, I get this, but this is also like super refreshing. Yeah. That's, that's the thing that's always struck me about Van Tannero is that it's not just noise for the sake of noise. Like there's, there's a pop element and a, and a songcraft element within it that is, is creating earworms and is a thing that you can latch onto even in the more abrasive stuff that they're doing now. Like they still, have melody in there it's buried a little bit more but they they really care about crafting something that isn't just a big mess of noise like there's there's a reason behind it there's purpose yeah absolutely and i always i always just even even still to this day take influence from how they're able to put all that weird stuff in while still having those earworms and those poppy moments because like i love hooks and it just yeah, the fact that they can do both and w- all while screaming the entire time is so cool. So last year, um, I was working on an article for the Santa Cruz Good Times newspaper about the uh, history of Santa Cruz hip hop. And um, I can't remember the name of the rapper. I know he was in the group uh, Slop Opera, but I can't remember the specific name. But I was, you know, in, in my deep research, I was looking up this guy. I had already interviewed him. And then on like some old Twitter account of his, it had the like a website link and I clicked it and it went to Jamie's Jamie is Jamie. The one you said. Yeah. And I was like, what the hell is going on? That's crazy. So I texted Jamie and I found out that they used to work together like years ago. And that's how, that's why <laughs> it was a Jamie's site. Incredible. Yeah. It's yeah. my world. Would you say, um, I mean, does Vantana row, factor into the mix of your um you know influences as in terms of being you know the electronic and production element of what you do oh absolutely yeah i remember um after like getting really into them and them becoming my favorite band i remember showing it to my friend ash and i was like i this is the coolest music i've heard in a long long time and and they were like yeah everyone Everyone loves a bass drop. You can't deny that. And I was like, you know what? That's a really good point. And that's like totally stuck with me. Cause I just, there's, there's something about just like, boom, that just feels good. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, just the fact that they could do that. And um, I was, I was just like, how can I incorporate this into my own music and, you know, do it in a unique way. That's not just completely 
piggybacking off something else or trying to recreate something else. And yeah, I constantly, every time I put on uh, Forever or Vagina, I'm just like still just want to hop on the computer and make music or write a song, pick up my guitar. It's still super influential to me to this day. I'm curious a little bit about your um, your process and how you craft songs. Do you you know how you create beats? You, you play guitar. Is there is there a way that you put together music? Yeah, yeah. In in general, it starts out with the guitar idea because I am I'm a guitar player uh, first and foremost. I I guess. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that. Um, yeah, it starts it starts with guitar because that's the instrument that I'm <laughs> most experienced on. So like I'll come up with a chord progression um and then from there just, you know, play it over and over again or record a voice memo of it and start thinking about lyrics or I'll have like I have like a running notepad of like little lyric stems, phrases I think are funny or intriguing and I'll try and throw one of those in there and sing that along to the guitar part and if if that works sick, I'll like keep trying to write to it. If it doesn't work you know, rhythmically or a melody's not finding its way within like how how the words are arranged in the lyric idea, I'll toss it and go to the next one or see if I can make something off up off the top of my head. Um and then from there once I ha- have a basic melody and chord progression down, I'll go in and be like, oh, what do I want the drums to do? And what other instruments am I gonna add? Do I need a synth? Do I need a bass line? You know stuff like that. And then from there, I'll just keep editing and rewriting. Um, when I, when I write lyrics, I like to try and add little, uh, references or Easter eggs in most of the stuff I write that, um, people will find maybe not the first listen through, but in subsequent listens, or if they hear like another song or consume another like piece of media, like, Oh, that's what that line in this Eichler song is referencing that. That's crazy. Cause I all my favorite songwriters do that. They'll like throw those little influences and references and Easter eggs in. And I just feel like it helps to build this fun, engaging world of music. That's not just like, Oh, this song is catchy and I like it, but I also try and make them <laughs> catchy and likable when I can too. Have you ever started a song with the guitar as your like main point of composition? And by the time you get to the end of the song, the guitar is completely out of the song. Yeah. A couple times. Nice. Actually, actually, that 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 happens more often than not. Just because, like, I don't I don't play any piano. I like when when I'm like writing and recording like MIDI instruments. I usually write things on guitar. Or if I don't want a guitar in the song, I'll still write the chords on guitar and then figure out like, oh, what are these notes? And then I click and point them into like the the piano on on my recording software and then there's no guitar in the song so yes it does happen quite frequently actually what what recording software are you using to make your songs these days i god i use fl studio really fruity loops yeah dude i i love it (laughs) it's it's the dumbest software in the world it crashes all the time but i i i i love it so much i can do exactly what i want on it and it's like it's like playing a video game yeah, if you know what you're doing, it doesn't really matter. You don't need the fanciest, newest thing. You oh, just totally. Use what you have. Yeah, and I I started like producing on GarageBand, and then instead of like making the next logical move eh, up to eh? Logic, um, I was like, I'm gonna learn FL Studio because that's like what all these like rap producers use, and it seems really fun to use. So I, 
instead of like going with something that I already had some sort of familiarity with, I just like completely learned a brand new DAW. And I'm, I'm so glad I did, dude. Can you give us, um, can you give us one Easter egg that's on your record? Um, yeah. Oh, geez. Beer in the math room. (laughs) What does that mean? I don't want to say. (laughs) You gotta, you gotta figure it out for yourself. I'll tell you the Easter egg. You gotta figure it out. You gotta listen to the song. All right. All right. In Defense of Ska will return in a moment. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Okay, so before the interview, while we were waiting for Adam, you told me that um, the most excited part of this album rollout for you, (laughs) you could not wait to tell the world the name of your album. (laughs) Yeah, dude. Yeah. Elaborate. I just, just, that's that. So that phrase that ended up being the album name um, is something that I've just had like in my, in my notes pad on my phone, I I have like a running list of song names, just, just song names. Like most of them are just things that make me laugh, but some of them are like kind of serious or aesthetic or whatever. But I had the phrase my checkered future in there. And I was just like, this is so silly. And then (laughs) the record, the record came together and I was like, well, this is, it's, it's gotta be called my checkered future. That's amazing. That's so funny. I got to do it. So um, what are you anticipating? So by the time this drops, it will have been already released. Correct. So how do you how do you predict people will have responded to the name of your record? I really hope that when people read it the first for the first time, they go, oh, my God. Like, just, <laughs> just big sigh. <laughs> yeah. Hand to forehead. Oh. oh, yeah. Just red, slappy forehead hands. <laughs> that's the dream you shared an, an early version of the album with me yeah on, and i was honest with you i didn't i didn't get it at first yeah i remember you saying well that was the weirdest ska record i've ever heard yeah and then you you sent me a different version of it a few months later and that, and that was even different than what the album actually ended up being um, it had some of the singles you've released and, and it clicked suddenly for me where I was like, Oh, this makes a ton of sense now. And I listened to it over and over again. And I'm wondering how, I mean, we're, we're recording this before it comes out, but I'm, I'm, un, I'm wondering if people will have a similar experience listening to it the first time and, and not knowing where they land with it. And then, uh, you know, and then it'll come into focus for them. Yeah, I, I I wonder that as well. I feel like for people who are just finding out about me through this album and like this rollout, I feel like it'll be that experience. But for people who have already like listened to my songs and my singles, like I feel like this is going to be, it's going to go down real easy, I would yeah. imagine. 
I feel like I feel like the songs on this record are more accessible than like a lot of the singles I've put out. Um, but yeah, yeah, I would imagine that people are going to be like, and especially with <laughs> with bad time putting it out and coming right on the heels of this ripping dissidente record, people are going to be like, "What the fuck is this?" Which you know, yeah. genre, right? <laughs> I mean, I think that's the great thing about ska is that, you know, it can be everything from, you know, early traditional ska to now uh, Eichler's. Yeah, totally. Do Adam, was was there was there something that clicked specifically for you? Do you, Can you recall what, what happened or what it was you were listening to that you were like kind of turned you around? I mean, it really felt like, you know, those pictures that you look at and they're you have to like cross your eyes to see the picture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like literally the first time I listened to it, it was like I could recognize all the elements I was listening to, but the way that it was assembled, I was just like, like my brain couldn't, couldn't make it make sense. And then when I listened to it later, it was like, it was like I unfocused my eyes and like relaxed and like it came, it like snapped into like view, like what was happening. Like all the all the disparate elements all of a sudden complemented each other and created something brand new that I'd never heard before, but that sounded like I mean, I it sounds like the the later like special stuff to me. Like more experimental, but like still in like a weird ska vein and just trying to, you know, push things forward. Hmm. Interesting. That was that was the impression that I got, like the when I listened to <laughs> the, the second mix of it. The impression that I got. <laughs> that was it. That was an Eichler's Easter egg. Surprise. So, uh, so um, in twenty twenty one, there was a like r- around the time that my book was released, there was a a, a glut of articles about ska returning, right? And uh, you were interviewed in the Stereo Gum one, right? Yes, that's. That is correct. Okay. And um, so when that one was released, so at that time you were doing this music, but the only thing of yours that was released was the first album, which was not ska. Correct. Yeah. There were two ska songs on the record, but not, not nearly as ska as what, what was to come. So I remember um, when that article, you know, that when that article was released and of course, you know, there was a, a certain segment of the ska scene that was like scoffing at, this, the article there was a there was one moment where they were particularly scoffing at you and yeah uh, hell yeah you called they called you a poser they're right <laughs> i take pictures i pose <laughs> <laughs> um like I, for, on one hand i kind of i kind of understood because like i was because i had heard your new music and I was like, well, you know, I kind of get why they're reacting because they haven't actually heard the music where you're going in more ska direction. So it doesn't quite make sense. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm sure that a lot of those people are not going to react well to this album because it's not a version of ska that they're comfortable with. However, let's let's move forward a little bit. And um, in 2022, you started to release a few singles and couple those caught on right yeah yeah uh, it's the summer of or september of 2021 i put out oh my god and it got on the essential ska playlist on spotify which i thought was <laughs> incredible 
Because not only am I a poser, I'm an essential poser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every scene needs one. And that's me, I guess. <laughs> and then, yeah, it just kept plugging away, putting out songs. And then I put out, at the very tail end of last year, I put out songs online and it made it onto the number one spot on the Spotify Hyperpop playlist. <laughs> and people people had told me like right after the song came out um, that it was like my most ska song to date. And I was like, if you say so, okay. Um, so that was that was a huge, a huge W for for Team Ska. And then uh Anthem for a New Tone also made it onto the hyperpop playlist a, a couple weeks later. So the year has really started off with quite the ska boom, as it were. Anthem for a New Tone was originally on the album? Correct. Yeah. And did it, did it have a different name then, though? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to call it Traditional Ska, which was uh, <laughs> a, a Chris Reeves original, uh, a.k.a. Cool Chris from Ska Punk International. And we, we just thought it would be funny to call the song that because it would make the, tra- like the, the trad ska heads very mad. But I, th- I thought Anthem for a New Tone was a better name. Yeah. Was there any reason you changed it? I just, no. I, I, just, thought it need, I just thought it, I thought it needed a real name. All right. Not one that would, that would make me giggle. There's, there's, there's plenty of giggling to come, but yeah. I, I thought like with the, the subject matter of the song, it needed to be a little more. Well, what's the subject matter of the song? Oh, it's it just like kind of embracing the themes of what the new tone ska movement stands for. Um, you know, various uh, like social activism and being able to support those who uh, need support most in your communities and yeah, all that fun stuff. You do a tweet and talk about new tone. You identify as being part of the movement. Can you talk about how, what you, what you see as new tone and what your place in new tone is? Yeah. Yeah. So like the, the new tone scene to me is, kind of at least how I understand it from when bad operation coined the term is kind of playing off the, the original two tone scene um, where politics were kind of at the forefront of the, the music and with, with a lot of these newer ska bands who are, you know, made up of queer and trans and non-white non-male folks. Like I just, I just think that's super important and inspiring to, be able to focus on those voices and uplift those people as best we can as peers and fans of the music and, and the community. And I think that also carries outside of the music as well and looking into your community and the people around you and, you know, investing your money that you can in mutual aid programs to help those who can't help themselves and need help. And I just, I think that should be the bare minimum we're doing as people and especially as, uh, music fans in some sort of like subculture counterculture uh style of of music so the the idea of new tone has less to do with what you're doing with ska and more to do with the message and the the intention behind yourself as an artist yeah yeah i think i think the the boundary pushing of the music is just just a fun a fun way to like you know a, a fun quirk a hook to like yeah, bring bring people in and be like, oh, well, if you like this weird dude who's making hyper ska, 
you're going to love Bad Operation and you're going to love Jair and you're going to love Tape Girl. Like really just, I hope, I hope that any, any sort of, uh, notoriety that I get as, uh, a musician, I can help those people see that there's this very vibrant, important scene and community that I'm a part of and that those people, uh, deserve as much support as they can get. So, um, just want step, just a step back real quick. So these couple of like official Spotify playlists, you, you had nothing to do with getting on these. They, you just, just one day you woke up and you were on them. Yeah. So like every, every time you release a song through Spotify for artists, you can submit it to editorial playlist consideration. And Uh I've done it for all my songs and they don't, they don't like send you an email to let you know that it's been rejected or that they've read your pitch or considered your song, but out of the blue, you'll get an email like your song was added to this playlist. But like I've gotten added to, like I got an email when I got added to the essential ska playlist but I didn't get one when I got added to this. Uh, yeah, when Songs Online got put on the Hyperpop playlist, I did not get an email. I just like looked, I searched my name on Spotify and it was just like featured on Hyperpop. And I was like, wait, what? And just like my heart sank into my stomach and I just got real nervous all of a sudden. It was it was weird. It shot up your, your listenership, right? In, yeah, it's still going up because of it. It's fucking crazy. Have you gotten feedback from people that are just really into hyper pop and maybe not ska fans. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've like seen, uh, quite a, quite a, uh, nice little bump in followers. And I reach out to everyone who follows me when I get the notification. And, uh, a lot of these people be like, yo, I saw you on the hyper pop playlist. I love what you're doing. This, this is crazy. Why is no one else making hyper pop ska? And I was like, right. Thank you for being here. <laughs> yeah. Hyper pop to me, it feels like if you're really into that, like, you probably have no qualms with being experimental, being weird, being taking elements of of the styles that maybe haven't been used before. Like it seems like it's baked into the the, the genre. Oh, absolutely, yeah, and that's that's why I feel like it works. It works so well together, and I'm I'm very <laughs> very glad that Jer had the foresight to lump what I was doing in with the the hyper pop thing because I might not have reach that <laughs> conclusion or that kind of aspect of my music <laughs> might have not blown up if you were if you were trap rock steady yeah maybe not <laughs> i'm curious your take on uh, other people playing ska in a futuristic shall we say way like who who are you interested in you know people that are active people that are up and coming you mentioned tape girl i you know i'm sure tape girls on your list yeah, so big into Tape Girl. Uh, there's this artist called Dynastic, who I'm friends with. They just put out an awesome record. There's no ska on it, but they sent me a song that they're working on that's just like straight up this super catchy hyper pop ska song, and it's fucking incredible. And I've heard that they're going to be dipping more of a toe into the big old ska pool. So nice. keep an eye out for that. And obviously there's Best of the Worst and Bad Operation and every every band on bad time um yeah i i love getting these questions because my mind just immediately goes blank but <laughs> <laughs> yeah just i just every everything that bad time is doing is so inspiring to me and just i'm stoked out of my mind for the jer record just been a long time coming and i cannot be more excited to see 
see what they do uh, with with their own proper original full length. Looking on your record, I see uh, guest Baboso, who's uh, Bob Vielma. We talked about him earlier, uh, original member of Narboots. Also featured on Ska Dream. Yeah, also featured, uh, we have uh, Omnigun, which is Adam Davis, our co-host here, member of um, Narboots also. And uh, there's one member of Narboots I don't see listed on your uh, guests. <laughs> What's going on there? Uh, in- invitation must have gotten lost in the mail. I'm sorry, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> you could have had him play drums. You could have read a chapter of his book as a sample. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do we'll do that on the next record. All right, all right. We'll like we'll like backmask some IDOS reading. How's that sound? I'm into it. Sweet. I want to know what the what the oh no sample is from. From oh my god. Yeah. Okay. Fun fun story about that. Um, I just found it on some random funnysoundbites.com or some shit, and I was like, <laughs> this is hilarious. I'm gonna download this and put it in a song, and then no shit, like oh my god comes out. And Beth from Tape Girl like messages me and she was like, you used the Knuckles sample from Sonic. And I was like, yeah, totally. And I like went and looked it up and I was like, oh my God, it's the, it, it's the sound. Holy shit, I had no idea. So shout out to Beth for keeping me honest, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's Knuckles uh, from some Sonic game. Wow. The more you know. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to In Defense of Ska. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you normally stream or download episodes. If you haven't already, grab a copy of my book, In Defense of Ska, available at clashbooks.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. It's at In Defense of Ska. And please consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com backslash in defense of Scott. You will get monthly bonus episodes, extended interviews and commentary per episode, and access to the in defense of Scott discord. In defense of Scott would not be possible without the great team that tirelessly works on it every week. So you should go check out their other projects as well. Co-host Adam Davis has an amazing band called Omnigon. Give them a follow on Instagram and Twitter. It's simply at Omnigon. And our editor, Chris Reeves, has a phenomenal record label and podcast called Ska Punk International. For more information, go to skapunkinternational.com. And if you've ever enjoyed one of the highly specific in defense of ska memes floating around the interwebs, it was likely the work of the bands I like only charge $18. Find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. On that note, we leave you by saying, Ska now more than ever. Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O. 
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.